Welcome back to Not Your Average BS, where we talk about what everybody else is thinking. I'm Brendy. And I'm Shannon. What's up, you all? Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of the Not Your Average BS podcast. Today, we're so excited to be talking to Dr. Shanae Turan, who is a licensed therapist, organizational development psychologist, life coach, and motivational speaker. And on top of all of that, she also hosts her own podcast, the Pop Podcast, which is Pursuit of Peace. And today she's here to talk to us about her journey to her career path, burnout, and the importance of prioritizing your mental health. And honestly, today's episode was probably one of my favorites to date so far. Dr. Turan offers so much insight into the world of mental health during a pandemic, as well as feelings of burnout and how we can kind of subside them and what we can do to combat them. Definitely. And with May being Mental Health Awareness Month, it was really important to Shannon and I that we brought on a professional that could talk to us and talk to you guys and really give us some really important insight. We definitely got a lot out of our conversation with her today, and we hope that you guys do as well. Before we jump into today's episode, we're so excited to be collaborating with Healthy Bean Coffee. So if you all don't remember, we interviewed Abby Farrow back in March on the episode, The Truth About Health and Wellness. And Abby introduced me to Healthy Bean Coffee because for a while I had been really struggling with food sensitivities and allergies. And I took a test and it kind of basically alluded to the fact that I'm really sensitive to coffee. And Abby was like, this might be because of the acidity that coffee has, which I didn't even realize that coffee had high levels of acidity in it. So she introduced me to Healthy Bean and I ordered it on my own with my own money, with my own car, with my own check, like yada, bing, bang, boom. And I really loved it because it's super gentle on your digestive system, unlike other coffee brands. And I really noticed that because whenever I was drinking things like Starbucks or Dunkin', and that's not to say that those coffees aren't great or like good for you. This is just what works with me and what works well with my body. And on top of all of that, Healthy Bean has five times more antioxidants than other brands recommended to you. So for me, it really made sense to, you know, buy and purchase Healthy Bean and fall in love with it because for once I found something that was, you know, worked well with my digestive system. And they sent us some products and Brendy got to try it for herself. And Brendy girl, do you want to give your, you know, little spiel on it as well? Because I know that you really loved it because she was texting me up a storm afterwards being like, okay, I'm actually in love with this company and this coffee. Yes, truly. So I made, I just like made mine into a cold brew, which was honestly pretty easy. I could do that on in the Insta story, maybe sometime this week, if you guys would like to see that. But I really liked Healthy Bean because like Shannon said, with Starbucks and Dunkin', I'm personally the kind of person who really relies on coffee and really relies on caffeine. Like, especially in the mornings, like I just, I need to have that cup of coffee to like get my day going because I need that energy as someone who is not a morning person. And sometimes with like the other brands, I feel like they don't do anything for me. Like I feel like it's just not enough caffeine or I feel like if sometimes if it is enough caffeine in that cup, like I feel like I just 
am acting like a crazy person. I literally explained to Shannon, I was like, if you've ever seen the movie Hoodwinked, like that little squirrel when he drinks coffee, like that is sometimes how I feel like if I have Starbucks or Dunkin'. No shade to them. I still love them. But I think I love this a little bit more because honestly, I felt like I... I had more energy, but I didn't feel like, like crazy. Like I didn't feel like all over the place. And I definitely didn't have like a crash or anything afterwards, which is really great because sometimes you definitely experience that with other brands. Like you might have that two thirty feeling you might need to grab your five hour energy. You definitely won't need to do that with healthy bean. Yes. And I think that the main reason why I love this too, is because I know exactly where I'm getting the beans from. I know exactly where they're sourced. All of the information is right on the website. And as I've been on this journey, the past few years to kind of sourcing things completely from places that I'm aware of and that use like, you know, ethical practices and whatnot. That's why we truly fell in love with healthy bean. So when you use the code AVGBS 15 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off your order. And we would love if you all hopped on this train with us. Um, and especially in the midst of a pandemic, you know, staying home and whatnot. Now is the perfect time to, you know, break out the old coffee pot or purchase a little, um, what did you buy? So it's like a cold brew maker type of deal. Oh no, I was doing it on my own. I mean, you can use like a French press if you want to do it, but I literally just like looked up YouTube videos because there's a lot of different ways you can make cold brew. But essentially what I did, I just ground the beans up. I put it into like a big container, put water over it. And then I had it in the fridge for probably like 18 hours. Like I had it overnight and I did it like that after that previous afternoon. And then basically I just strained it through a cheesecloth into like a larger container. So that's one way you can do it. But there's a couple other ways you can use a French press. I might end up getting that to make it a little easier on myself, but Mm -hmm. honestly, whichever way you do it, it's pretty simple. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Healthy Bean is our new go-to. So like we said, code AVGBS15 for 15% off your checkout and definitely let us know what you all think. So thank you so much to Dr. Tran for coming on the podcast today to talk with us about mental health and burnout and everything about being your best self and wellness. So we're going to jump right into our appetizer. And if you guys are new to listening to us, this is an app or a resource or website that we love and recommend to others. So Dr. Tran, do you have an appetizer for us today? I do. I have one that is pretty well known, but I really love it. It's Calm. Calm gives a great opportunity for people to have time to just center themselves, do some deep breathing. And even if they're not familiar with the practice of mindfulness, you can literally just listen to rain sounds, nature sounds, and just zone out. And that will allow you to reset. So I am an avid supporter of the app Calm. And do you use that yourself on a daily basis or it's just something that you would recommend? No, I use it on a daily basis. I have it like scheduled on my phone where even I can do the scheduled (laughs) breathings and it allow you to do the deep breathing exercises again. And I have it on my Apple watch. So it like coincides with that and it can just pop up even if I'm working and don't necessarily have my cell phone like right there with me. It like really encourages me to like get up, breathe, and then I'll then pick up my phone, listen to the rain sounds. That's my favorite, the rain sounds. And I then turn on the the breathing and it vibrates as you're taking a breath. So it even 
vibrates on your arm because it's on the phone um, to then take that full deep breath in and then let it out. And so it does it for about five minutes and you can even time it for how long you want to do it, which I really love. So I do it in between breaks, especially in between clients, in between research. It like really helps me stay revived and not really feel that burn and drag of the work. (laughs) And do you feel that mindfulness and meditation is something that people can do throughout the entire day? Or is it one of those like morning routines or night routines? Or is it something that can really just be done whenever, wherever? I think it's something that can be done whenever and wherever. Um, I know that for me, I like to do it in the morning, even if it's something as simple as as soon as I wake up, I don't even have to do anything, grab anything, put on any exercise clothes or anything. I'm like still in the bed. And sometimes I literally, and it's probably funny if you were watching me, but I literally just roll off the bed because by that time, my two-year-old has escaped his bed and has gotten into mine. And so I'm like sliding off so that I'm not waking him up. And I just literally lay right there off the floor and I do a body scan. And it's like, I don't have to do it for any long particular time, but it's enough to where then I feel grounded enough to begin my day. And also throughout the day, if I find myself getting really stressed, mindfulness is one of those tools that is proven that as soon as you take a moment to recenter yourself, especially if you do it as a practice, it's almost like muscle memory. Your body snaps right back into a relaxed state. And I actually use it if I'm about to have a like crucial or difficult conversation with someone at work it definitely helps. Like if you have a final or, you know, now that school's out, if you're prepping to do applications for anything for work, definitely take that time to being mindful is literally just being present in the moment, accepting the moment, accepting what you're feeling in that moment and just allowing yourself to relax and be okay in it. So whenever, wherever, Even if you're having a hard time sleeping, some of the experts recommend that you could actually use it to help you fall asleep. And that's worked for me, too. If I'm like supercharged because I was doing some research and I'm like, oh, my God, my brain won't stop, you know, turn off the phone (laughs) or even use the app on the phone. But sit the phone down. Don't look at the screen and just, again, zone out and get ready to go to sleep. So it's it's really good whenever, wherever. That's awesome. I feel like I need to do something like that too, because I like to do yoga in the mornings, but sometimes Uh it's like, oh, I have to like get dressed, like do all this stuff and then go like put the yoga on the TV. So I like that you said that you can just like roll right out of bed and do it or even do it right in bed. That sounds really, really awesome. Absolutely. And there's been times where I've gone from, okay, I've rolled off the bed and I did my mindfulness practice. And if anything else, I'll just throw on like, if the night before you just throw like your yoga pants on the floor or something, I like literally just slip those in and go from laying on the floor, doing the body scan to literally doing some stretches. There was one time I even pulled up an app um, because if you have an audible account for uh, books online, they have free yoga on there. And there is literally a yoga um, program on there that's titled, I don't feel like doing yoga. (laughs) So so it's like a mind trick, like, especially for those of us that are sort of rebellious, like, oh, you know, like I will literally like 
I have already rolled off the bed. I randomly slip on my little exercise pads and I look at the phone, turn it on and it's a quick yoga practice. And then I'm like, I finished both my mindfulness and my yoga. I am winning. So I let it go and I move on. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, we will leave um, calm and how to get to there in the show notes. Thank you so much for that recommendation. Moving on to the million dollar question that I'm sure that you get a lot, um, kind of like your elevator pitch type of deal. Who is Dr. Shanae Turan? (laughs) You know, what makes you, you personally, professionally, um, who is she? I am a licensed clinical social worker, organizational development psychologist. I do trainings. I do executive coaching, career coaching. I am a podcaster. I'm a mom, a wife, I am literally someone who is on a journey to find peace. So I have built my practice around my own experience of having dealt with uh, burnout at the workplace, being a mental health provider. I spent over 14 years doing a lot of crisis work as a therapist. So I began to realize that the helpers need help. And that is what I do. I help bring helpers visions to life of peace in the midst of any storm that may arise. Wow. And so backing up a little bit, where are you originally from? How did you get to California? You know, where are all the dots? Where have all they landed? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I was born in Chicago. I was born in Chicago, moved then, my family moved to Cleveland, Ohio, I then moved, when I finished undergraduate school, I went from Ohio University in Athens, Ohio to Columbus, Ohio, where I literally started my first job as a social worker at a children's services agency within maybe less than a week of me graduating from my undergrad. And so I then spent my career doing um, mental health social work. I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I definitely spent a lot of time um, just really, like I said, getting to that state of burnout. And before I actually moved to California, it was always a dream of mine to truly live in a place where I could thrive. I have a chronic medical condition called sickle cell disease. And so living in Ohio, where it's usually dreary and the weather is nasty most of the year, my physical body was always triggered into a sickle cell crisis. So I said, I got to get out of here. Crazy enough, I finally made the leap of faith. After I recovered from a major surgery, I had to have my spleen removed. It just stopped functioning. And so I was like, you know what, if I can make it through this, I can make it to California. I literally packed up my SUV at the time sent my big furniture to my parents' house and said, give it to somebody. (laughs) They thought that I was joking until they were in Columbus and my house at the time was empty. And I said, all right, I got my playlist. I got my Mountain Dew and a bunch of candy. And I drove two 16-hour days from Columbus, Ohio to Los Angeles, California. And that's how I ended up here. (laughs) By yourself. Completely alone? <laughs> wow. By myself. Completely alone. Mm-mm. Completely. Nope. <laughs> nope. 
<laughs> I, That's incredible. And it was funny because the times where I felt like I needed to have someone to talk to to like help me through the drive were times where I really shouldn't have been talking on the phone because then I was like going all the way through the different canyons and the mountains and it was nuts. I was like, Oh my God, I don't know where this curve is going to land. I'm going to like fly off the cliff or something. And it ended up working out either way. I'm still alive, (laughs) but I was tired. I literally, I literally, um, just rested that one night and I slept for maybe a couple of hours and got back on the road. And so I started my drive at four something in the morning each day and ended it by like, 10 o'clock at night, went to bed. And next thing you know, I I truly was like, Oh my God, there's Riverside. I'm here. And then I kept driving and moved in. So whenever you drove to California, two questions, how old were you? And did you have a job lined up for you whenever you arrived in the sunshine state? (laughs) Let me try to think, how old was I? I was possibly 29. Uh, I've been here since 2013, seven years. Okay. So yeah, it was about 29, 30. Yeah. And I, to be honest, this is going to be confession. (laughs) I didn't have a job. I didn't. I was working at the VA And they told me that I was to link up with someone at the VA here who could possibly get me started, but there wasn't anything official because we hadn't heard back. So my whole thing was to leave once it was official, but the angst in me to move and make the move and not get stagnant was so pressing and more profound than anything else. So I ultimately said, I'm going to go, it's going to work out. And so I just left. <laughs> and so for somebody who might want to make a big move like that, um, cause oftentimes we, you know, we hear from, um, people in older generations, like, Oh, like you shouldn't quit one job until you have another, or you yeah. shouldn't like move until you have a secure job. What would be your, you know, recommendation on trying to process through that for somebody who is wrestling between the idea of, okay, I really want to leave this one place because mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot there for me, but mm-hmm. I don't have anything, you know, quite secure yet in the bag? Well, I would recommend a couple of things to be foundational. One is you have to have some sort of, uh, I would call it faith or some sort of belief that will keep you grounded and something that will help guide you in your decisions. Like being um, a spiritual person myself, it's like I follow the truth that I know is inside of me, you know? And so it will feel different if I'm not doing the right thing versus when it's like, go for it, but also have something to work with, like have something like, do you have a degree? I left (laughs) at that point and I had a master's by that time because I almost pretty much went straight through school. So I knew that at some point someone would hire me. I had had a few interviews up to that point. So I was beginning to know what they were looking for and also be humble enough that if you are still in the middle of the job that would quote unquote pay the bills, that you're still humble enough to 
have a grind about you so that if you need to work at Starbucks and also work over at, you know, whatever random place will give you a job in order to make ends meet, you want to be able to do that. So have a faith base, have something to work with, and definitely make sure that you're not too cute, so to speak, to just <laughs> do what you got to do to make the money in a healthy and safe way and legal way, of course. <laughs> yes. That sounds exactly like something my mother would say. So thinking that I'm too cute yeah. to do something. <laughs> to work in okay? If that's the only yeah. one hiring, especially depending on where you're going, because, you know, Los Angeles is super expensive. So it was literally $1,000 for an efficiency. For a random studio, $1,000. I wasn't even paying $1,000 for a three-bedroom finished house with a basement and a garage in Ohio. So it was like, what do you mean a 1000 for just an efficiency? So that where you're going plays a role in what makes sense for your fail-safe plan. That makes sense. And so backing up a little bit, um, what initially made you want to become a therapist and a psychologist? Was it something that you always knew you wanted to be or did the you know plan switch a little bit perhaps once you got to undergrad? Well, a lot of, I'd say my family, just like a lot of people, my family is completely crazy. And so I was just of that mindset from a very, very early age to say, what makes people so crazy? I need to figure this out. Like, why do you do what you do? And so there was a program when I was still in high school. Mind you, I went to a performing arts school, Cleveland School of the Arts. And so I was initially like, I'm about to be this actress. I'm going to have this and that. And my mom was just like, uh, have that plan B and do your plan B first since you think that's your plan A. Get your degree and then figure out if you still want to do it. So I literally took, um, I don't remember the name of the program, but I took college courses while I was still in high school and got both college credits and high school credits. And the first class that I took was Psychology 101. And from that point on, I was like, this is it. And so that was it. <laughs> so when did you, you mentioned at the beginning that you kind of wear many different hats and you've mm -hmm. had a lot of different job and life experiences. So when did you realize that you kind of wanted to be a motivational speaker as part of your many hats that you wear and also kind of tying that in? When did you also realize that you wanted to take your knowledge to a podcast platform? Well, one, when I was looking at what I had been through and even my family members telling me, Shanae, you need to write about this. Like no one would believe the stuff that you've gone through. I was only my oldest sister, one of my older sisters, I have six. Wow. <laughs> one of my older sisters is the only other one that also has the sickle cell disease as I do. Yeah, I do. Six sisters, no brothers. And one of them had, but she left home early considering our age differences. So when I was growing up, it literally was like just me being the only one going through what I was going through with having that chronic illness, with being so strategic in going to school, being the first one to go off and finish college. And um, so many people would just tell me like, you need to tell your story, but 
I didn't want to. But then as I went on and on and started noticing so many more people having similar struggles as myself, I said, well, a lot of them don't end up in a good situation like myself, where it's like I've been able to maintain my career. A lot of people um, with sickle cell end up succumbing to a lot of the pain and the mental stress that comes from having a chronic illness that gives you chronic pain crises where it's hard to finish school. It's hard to finish a lot of the things that like intellectually we would be able to, but I kept pushing and I kept pushing and I just found what worked best for me in order to persevere. And I said, you know, I want to be able to share that with other people that no matter what you can do it. Like it just doesn't matter what you're going through. You can find a way. And by doing that, then I'm uplifting people and giving them also the platform to say, you know what, let me tell my story because someone else could be going through similar situations, but your story is always unique. So I was like, let me go ahead and go into that. And so when it comes down to it, the podcast came about when I was like, well, I'm still working. I'm still managing my health. Now I'm managing life as a mom of a two-year-old, still learning how to be a mother. It's like, it's so crazy. One of the things that I would have loved was to have something easily accessible at a time that I could, I could do it. And what better than a podcast? You don't have to see it, especially the ones that are audio. You don't have to see it. You can sneak and listen to it and get tips and get a good laugh and a feel good um, without having to be seen that you're on, you know, anything like you're not on TV. You're not listening. You're not looking at your phone. You can put your ear pods in, let the little one fall asleep in your arms and just zone out to the podcast. And I'm like, Another thing that I feel is best for people going through similar things or even just going throughout life and everything is fast paced is having things that are easily accept accessible that you could enjoy. And a podcast definitely is that. Definitely. And for those who might be unfamiliar, what exactly is sickle cell disease? Sickle cell disease is basically a hereditary um condition of the blood. Um, and it's derived from different areas of, um, the African region. Um, and I know that even when I did my research on my family line specifically for myself, I have family that stretch out as far as, uh, Senegal. And so in that region, there was a natural sort of, uh, biological evolution to preventing people from catching, um, I think it was, it was a particular medical condition. I just went blank on it, but either way, the blood cells then morphed in order to prevent you from contracting that particular disease, which was killing off a lot of people in that area. But it left us with the sickle cell, the sickle shaped cells. So when it's all said and done, instead of just having the circular cells going through your body, the red blood cells, you literally have a mixture of the circle-shaped cells and the sickle-shaped cells, which then ends up becoming an issue for you because then you don't have the full cell, which means you have less energy, 
the nutrients don't absorb and uh, retain themselves as much. And you're liable to have different body functions literally just fail because they're not getting the right oxygen that they need. On top of that, when we're having a sickle cell crisis, the sickle-shaped cells in with the circular-shaped cells are literally clogging. They have the potential to clog in your, your veins, and your vessels, your blood vessels, which then leads to if they get stuck or caught up in any way, they can then um, contribute to clotting. And that pain you feel when your blood is clotting and all of that, you know, biological stuff. Mm -hmm. So either way, that's what it is. That's where it comes from. And it's genetic at this point. So people that are from African-American descent, there has even been those that are um, Asian that could have the blood condition and those that are of a um, Latino or Latino background um, could have it as well. And so it's something that's not curable. Yet, we're hoping uh, they have a couple of studies going on now, but essentially it makes you your immune system shot. You, your immune system is low. Mm -hmm. And even for me, mine is even more than that because I don't have my spleen, which is usually like your body's natural filter of blood. And so with the loss of that, my body just had to adjust and create its own immune system. So when they're talking about immune system uh, compromised people during this pandemic, I'm one of them. So I usually try to especially stay away from people, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you incorporate um, sickle cell or other chronic illnesses into your research areas, or would that be something that you would consider to do in the future? I think that's something I would consider to do in the future. And I haven't so far because I feel like the biggest thing that you could do right now, since you can't change sickle cell in your body, you, there's no cure yet, um, is to deal with the aftermath, which is what impacts your daily living. So I like to focus on chronic illness and treatment from the sense of the mental health piece, because it does impact your mental health. A lot of people with sickle cell battle with depre depressive type symptoms, anxiety, um, isolation because of us needing to be in the home recovering from time to time. And so I just want to help from that standpoint and even help with self-care, such as like I brought up mindfulness and ways that you can curtail your diet and make sure you're exercising moderately to just help on the back end for those that haven't been able to do like your, um, some do like bone marrow transplants or go in regularly for blood transfusions and things like that. And so those are some of the ways to treat and decrease the uh, symptoms. They even have different medications that will help with that. But ultimately it's like, it's not going anywhere right now. So let's just help you be able to thrive and find peace. And again, my, that's why my big mantra is let's find peace and bring what visions you have to have a better, higher quality of living, how to do that and how to bring you through that journey. And so being that you are originally from the East Coast and now you're on the West Coast, do you see a difference in terms of how treatment is talked about? Um, we had a, a guest on 
a couple of months ago now who also lives out in California. And she really talked about how it feels like two different worlds and how California is super holistic when it comes to healing the body and healing the mind. So Mm -hmm. do you notice that as well? Like living there too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And access is more prevalent here to, uh, alternative medicines. Um, people don't look at it as something foreign here. I think that it's less often used, even though it is used back on the East Coast. I don't want to um, put out that misconception, but it's more widely uh, optional here. Like I never even thought of using acupuncture when I was back on the East Coast. Doctors never even brought it up. And I remember asking, are there other things that could possibly help me? But that wasn't their expertise. Here, you have more people that have dual expertise. They may be someone that's a pain doctor, but also they studied to be an herbalist, for example. Or they may have studied, um, you know, alternative integrated medicines here. And I never even heard of those concepts until I moved out here. So that, that's absolutely the case. With talking about kind of the differences that you see in the East and West Coast, have you also noticed a shift over the last several years with people or society in general um, just discussing mental health as a whole? Yeah, I think that it's definitely being spoken about more. I mean, even looking at commercials, you didn't used to see commercials talking about mental health and what could help as a medication for bipolar or depression. Like you didn't see that. It was more years ago. It really was highly stigmatized to the point where you just didn't talk about it just as much as it was stigmatized to talk about people with cancers, like, Oh, the C word, you know, no one wants to talk about it, but now a lot more people are talking about it. You have a lot more people willing to discuss the parameters of impact on mental health in different situations. I mean, even looking at the news when they're covering topics on uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic, they're bringing guests to talk about stress and anxiety. And it's like, yes, this is life. This is living. And this is a part of your health. Medical health includes the brain as well. And all the different, you know, elements that go into mental health. And so it definitely has changed significantly. What I would say to throw a little wrench in that that statement is the efforts and supports on a global level for that industry of mental health still has a great opportunity to do a lot better. So it would be nice if we see and get to the point where it's not just a discussion. It's not just about bringing about awareness, but it's about supporting what we now know, you know? And so with living through this pandemic of COVID-19, what are some things that um, people can do to combat and alleviate these, you know, rising feelings of anxiety, rising, you know, Mm -hmm. depressive thoughts and whatnot, just from a clinical perspective? Well, one thing that I think is major and needed is for people to pay attention to it. A lot of times people blow it off. Like, I mean, I even recently did a session with someone where they're talking to me about what they need for um, coaching. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But, you know, what about the mental health piece? You know, like what what about that? You know, so. 
I want people to make sure to address it. If you address it and recognize it as such, you end up in a better place of being able to do something about it and seek help. You know, even if it's talking to a friend and saying, hey, this is what I'm feeling, having that opportunity increase that you'll actually get the help that you need because you're sharing this with someone else who might be able to, from an objective standpoint, say, oh, you know, you may want to get that checked out. You know, Um, another thing that I would say other than recognizing reaching out to people would be figuring out what it is that you need. If you're isolated, think of ways to connect. If you feel that you're dealing with loss or grief, you know, some people aren't dealing just with the loss of a human being, like a loved one or a friend. They're also dealing with the loss of their freedoms, you know, depending on their personality style, it's, it's gone from cabin fever to going stir crazy to everything else. And so people want to make a point to figure out a way to practice self-care and doing things specifically for the concerns that they have, as I gave those examples of. And if you find that what you're doing doesn't help, reach out and get professional help. You know, that's that's paramount because when it's all said and done, we all can't do this alone and we all don't have the tools to bring ourselves out of it or we wouldn't even be there. You know, we'd be able to keep ourselves out of it. And that's really the biggest thing to me. I had put together a little uh, mantra that I had uh, listed on my podcast, actually, and it's called Breathe. And it's a, you know, it's an acronym And so it's basically saying that to be aware and be conscious of what's going on, make sure that you're resting, uh, make sure that you are enjoying a moment, you know, being mindful even, or making sure that you're doing something that you enjoy. A is like making sure that you have an attitude of gratitude. You know, when you're thankful for things, you are more able to truly enjoy a moment. Like you're like, you know, it may not be the best. It may not be the best situation, but all in all, I have an attitude of gratitude. Uh, T is being making sure that you talk to others, making sure that you're telling people what you're thinking, telling people what you're going through so that you can, you know, really make it through. And H is have an ability, like I said, to get help, make sure that you get help is the age. So that's the, the brief. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. And we'll definitely link that down below too. And as well as, um, your podcast down below. So people yes. can kind of check you out further. Perfect. We've kind of talked about how society has started to change. And also something that Shannon and I want to talk about today too, is burnout being two graduate students. And especially this past semester mm. where, you know, in March we were told, okay, everyone get off campus. We're moving to online classes. And that was an extremely stressful time for not only us, but I know college students across the nation and just yeah. the the amount of work. And, mm-hmm. you know, some professors don't really know how to work technology. So there's stresses <laughs> with that too. Yeah. So what would you say are some things that we can kind of do in our own lives to help alleviate the burnout we may feel or the some of the external stresses we may deal with? Well, in addition to 
using breathe, you know, making sure that you're staying connected, making sure you're having gratitude and looking at things from a different perspective. I think the biggest thing that you can do is not only practice mindfulness, um, because that would allow you to ground yourself and really be okay with the place that you're in. Um, but also make sure to find the silver lining. So the two biggest components of that, just to broaden it out as far as how you can apply it, is when you are mindful, again, we're not just talking about the mindful practice where you're doing the deep breathing and you're doing uh, guided meditation. I'm talking about actually having a mindful mindset, which means you are paying attention to what you're going through. You are aware of the stressors that you have and you are aware of and willing to explore what is it about that situation that makes you stress for instance it may be like you said i'm stressed out that not only am i having to learn a new way of learning through this platform even though i learned best while being in that atmosphere of the classroom and the professor doesn't know how to work the technology, it's like, okay, wait a minute, I'm irritated for what? Okay, what if I were to consider this an opportunity to just <laughs> chill? If the professor doesn't have it together, I'm not going to be expected to have it together. You know, like, it's okay. Like, wherever it is, it's okay. And the frustration may be there, but why? If the professor then gets it together, then say, well, what do you want us to do? You just now got it together yourself. You know, it's like, what do you want? What's the new expectation? You know, and then we can get on the same page. It's like, I'll figure it out just as you're figuring it out, you know. And when it's all said and done and someone sent me this, too, because I was getting stressed and I wasn't being mindful in the moment. I was guilty of it. And they said, Shanae. It's a pandemic. <laughs> it's like, chill out. Everybody is dealing with it. The whole world is dealing with it. So give yourself some grace. And the only way that you can give yourself some grace and be kind to yourself is recognizing that the moment is the moment and nothing more. It has nothing to do with your intelligence, has nothing to do with what brings you peace and joy. It is separate from you, right? Anything that is stressing you out, it's separate from you. If a person is stressing you out, you can literally sit there and say, your problem is your problem. Has nothing to do with me, you know? <laughs> and you can take that stress and that pressure from, yeah. oh, I need to perform. I need to do better. I need to do this. And you can just let it go and say, this is what I can offer you in this moment. And that's it. And then when it's about finding the silver lining, it's like, again, in the midst of the pandemic, the silver lining is everybody's going through it. So you can literally say, yes, I'm scatterbrained, but it's because it's a pandemic. I'm having to wear a mask. I'm having to make sure I don't get infected. There's a lot of stressors that are going on, even stress that I can't even, you know, put a word to yet. So I have the ability to just chill out and say, you know what, I'm going to do the best that I can in this moment. And the fact that I can do anything is amazing because we're in a lot of stress. The world is in shambles trying to figure out and make sure to bounce back. And having that perspective actually helps you manage your emotions, 
manage your thoughts about the situation, which then helps you manage your behavior. So you're going to be in a place where you're going to do more things that make bring you joy than sit down and wallow in the stressors. So being mindful, find the silver lining and knowing that that's going to direct your behavior. And so all of this clearly comes from a place of passion. So at what point in your career did you start feeling burnout? When did you start noticing that you were having these um, feelings? And then what did you personally do about it? I noticed that I was having these feelings um, when I was still in Columbus, Ohio. And it was when I had left, I was starting to get burned out when I was in the hospital, when I was working in the VA hospital. And it was just because at the time, what I felt was the supports I needed to do the high crisis work, the system, again, that I felt that I needed to support me wasn't in place at that time. And so I then decided, um, you know, I'm going to go and switch to a different environment. And so I went into a smaller uh, facility that I felt was more of like, uh, like a storefront feel. It was more like the people there. It's like a little family. It was only like five counselors. And um, I noticed that I was feeling truly burned out and it was a need to do something about it. When I was talking to maybe like my sister, she called me after work and I was super annoyed that she was needing help. And, um, (laughs) I was just like, that sounds like me. You know, it was just like, I help people all day. Like what I'm off the clock. Like, I don't want to help you. I don't want to talk about your issue. And then I felt pricked in my heart for even thinking that. And I think I said it in some way, I probably said it in a nicer way, but I was really feeling like, I really don't want to talk to you right now. I'm done counseling. No, I'm not counseling you. And She even asked in that same conversation, so how are you feeling? And I couldn't answer her. I didn't know because I had spent so much time practicing what I came to know was emotional labor, where I spent so much of my job not showing what I truly felt, but actually showing what I knew I was supposed to show as my feeling in that moment. So I... I put on a face for work, you know, and that's a part of the job. When you are a therapist, you can't always cry with them. You can't always be upset with them and show it. You know, you have to show something different. That's what you get paid to do, like help them. And it's not about you shut yourself down. But I had realized I shut myself down so much that I didn't even know what I felt in any given moment. And that's when I knew, oh, my God, I got to do something about it. Yeah. I really don't know how you do it because if I was a therapist, I'd be over there like (laughs) sobbing or, you know, just like like clapping back in ways that are not appropriate. So I really do commend you for what you do. (laughs) At times I felt that way. (laughs) So as you mentioned, um, work can definitely can definitely be like a huge trigger or cause of burnout in today's society. But Mm -hmm. what would you say are potentially some other contributing factors to burnout that people may not even initially realize? There's a few and a lot of things can contribute to burnout. Um, But I'm going to talk about two that I just recently was able to identify for myself of what I was dealing with back then. Like, of course, I was sharing with you just the emotional labor part of my work that contributed to it. But 
there's the expectations that are put on you by your supervisor and or your the place that you work. And then there's what you the pressure you put on yourself. So, for example, if you have leadership, a boss, an organization that really prioritizes the bottom line, um, whether it's the customer service or the numbers, <laughs> you know, what are the optics um, over the well-being of the employee that can lead to burnout because then you're not as an organization or as a leader, you're not paying attention to the signs that you probably should be in order to help maintain the status quo of that person. You know, getting to know your employees to know, for example, that they are a doer, they are someone that's passionate, but yet you have to, as a leader, since you are leading, being able to not only tap into that for the betterment of the organization, but also saying, oh, you know, so-and-so, you have already taken on 10 projects. You can't do this, you know, and it's not because you're not capable and explaining it that way, because a lot of people think that way. Oh, I'm not being allowed to add on another committee. I'm not, you know, you're, you get to that point where you're like, you need someone that again, coming from the heart of a leader that is compassionate, a servant leader, someone that cares about you that will say, you know what? I think you should leave this one off your plate for now until at least one other one comes off. You're doing an amazing job and I want you to focus on these so that then your performance doesn't suffer. Or they'll even say, <clears throat> I'm not going to give you all of the heavy load. You know, I'm not going to give you all the files that have 50 million issues that you have to resolve. I'm going to balance it amongst the team, even though I want to give it to you because I know you you will succeed in it and you will do great. <clears throat> I want to make sure that you don't expend so much energy that then you're physically going to suffer burnout. <clears throat> then on the other end, we have to pay attention to ourselves. We're also play a factor. You know, what are some of your, your, bottom line, moral compass, you know, type discussions that you have in your head. I know for me, and I'm going to put myself out there for me, I realized that what my issue was, was that I'm a collaborator. I'm one of those people that I don't like to say no. So if someone's asking me to help out, if someone's asking me to help out, it's like, absolutely. I don't want to say no because I'm passionate about helping. So it's like, hey, let me do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, you have to moderate yourself and realize that that self-talk that's telling you that you're less than or you're not fulfilling who you are because you said no this time, you have to debunk that myth and say, you know what? The best way that I can show up is to continue to show up, but you can't continue to show up if you're burned out. So you have to then make sure that, again, you take responsibility as well, get control of those thoughts in your mind and say, you know what, I need to pace it out. Just because I say not this time and I pass it up doesn't mean that I'm less of a helper, that I'm less of a doer, but tackling those self 
thoughts. I know I even grew up where idle time was the devil. It doesn't matter. You know, self-care, who does self-care? I don't even know what that is. It's like, if you are spending time resting, you're wasting time where you could be productive. And I had to pull that under wraps. And even though it's helped me be successful, I have to now say for the long haul and to be a great impact now to help others, I have to take care of myself. And that means slow down, delegate and give someone else the ability to be coached into doing some of the things that I'm doing so that I can take a step back, take care of myself and also help others take the lead as well. So I think those, those are two. Do you feel like millennials and Gen Z's have kind of adapted that mindset already? Or is that something that still exists where it's like work, work, work until the bone, until there's nothing left? Um, do you think that our generation is doing a little bit more, I don't want to say better of a job, but just more aware of the consequences of burnout? I think it depends on the person as far as recognizing and being able to respond to burnout. Um, because I've seen some people, they'll grind and grind and grind, and then they'll end up having to use recreational substances in order to then get sleep and rest because they're grinding so hard. Their, their thoughts are going, they're so creative. They're just on it. They're like some of, and I want to emphasize that some of like your young entrepreneurs, not all of them go that way. And then there's some that they definitely adopt, thankfully, okay, we're going to work hard, but then we're going to play hard, you know, and they have a good balance to try to do that. And I do know that research is saying how a lot of the millennials and the Gen Zers are definitely requiring more from the organization to provide that support. And that's why I'm like, it depends on the person, because not only do you have their own style of whether or not they, you know, pay attention and do something about the burnout or do things to prevent burnout. But I think that it's a question of, will they be requiring the organizations to prop to provide that work-life balance for them. And if they're doing it themselves is the question, you know, because it's one thing, like I said, the two areas would be the, the responsibility of the employer, but then the responsibility that you take on yourself. And I think that it still is about a personality because you still have those a type personalities, those go getters, those doers in any generation. I just think that it, it depends on whether or not they're like, I'm going to still do everything that I'm going to do, but I'm going to require my employer to do it, which some ways helps with that balance. But ultimately, it's still up to the individual person and their personality to do something. So one last question that I had in terms of, um, you know, organizational culture and burnout and whatnot, have you done any sort of consulting work yourself for organizations that are wanting to implement more, um, you know, things that help reduce burnout? I didn't know if that's what professionally you extended into either. I have actually, I worked with, I focus primarily on healthcare providers because that's, my passion lane right mm -hmm. there. But a lot of what I work on does apply to other industries. Like um, I actually have next week where I'll be doing a HR summit for St. Louis, a webinar where I'm talking with their HR executive leaders on how to engage and motivate employees working remotely. And it's all for the sake of using 
things like resilience, things like emotional intelligence, because ultimately you're not just talking about engagement and motivation. You're saying people are stressed. How do we try to prevent them from reaching or getting close to burnout in order for any of our motivation and engagement efforts to be effective? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm stressed out, if I'm on the edge of burnout, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to deal. So if you're telling me, oh, let's do this little, you know, online happy hour or something, it's like, no, I don't want to. You know, so it's like I tell them the the basic platform is making sure that people aren't burned out. And the only way that you can do that is have conversations with them. So that's one training that I'm doing. And I'm actually I do consulting and executive coaching for that that factor. Like I was saying, it's really big and a major factor to make sure that the leaders have the skills that they need. And I subscribe to the servant leadership model because that's just a sure way that you're doing everything that you can to put the employees first, right? I help with consulting and training for the executives. I help provide the consulting and training, as I mentioned, for HR. And I also do individual coaching and therapy for the healthcare providers or other people in in different industries that are really looking to get away from that edge of burnout and really reach a place where they're thriving, they can be more productive, and engagement and motivation efforts can actually reach the goal that they're actually looking for. So I do provide consulting, I do provide coaching, and I do mental health therapy for those that need it as well. And so what are the consequences of not dealing with these issues of burnout that you constantly see and you're coaching and consulting and um, you know providing therapy mm-hmm. services for? If you don't have a system in place already, or if you don't hire someone like myself in a role of consulting and coaching and helping you, you are doing a disservice not only to the individual people that are getting from burnout to possibly reaching the point of having mental health issues like a diagnosable depression, anxiety, uh, post-traumatic stress can come from chronic stress. But something that I was sharing too was people that are dealing with long-term stress and it's chronic and we're talking now in that world of burnout, they're now losing mental like cognitive functioning. So let's put it out there. There's been research that said that you could end up by losing employees. So you're talking about attrition is impacted, um, having to rehire in the upwards of $8.8 million you could save from keeping your employees there versus them leaving. When people are stressed and are dealing with burnout, you are in a constant state of fight, flight, or freeze, which means either they're not going to be productive and you're losing money there, they're going to be disruptive and you're losing money there, (laughs) or they're going to leave and there's loss of money. So why not take care of the employees now, provide the services, provide the resources. Like I said, if you don't have your team, get them trained up to provide it. If you can't get them trained up because it's too many, pull in a consultant that can come in and do it so that you can save costs versus the $8.8 that you would otherwise lose. You also are 
setting yourself up for failure and um, downgrading of your customer satisfaction scores because you have people underperforming. So that's another area that's impacted your customer service, the productivity. And a lot of times you're also increasing costs that goes to like your um, safety. So a lot more people are going to be filing for workman's comp because they are now in a space of uh, occupational hazards that are being exacerbated because there isn't an otherwise healthy work environment for them because it's not being fostered. So there's a lot that can be lost. And what's something that you can do personally when you do begin to experience burnout, whether that's from your employer or from just some other factor in your life? Seek help. Seek help. Because if you don't, if you've already reached burnout, it's going to be hard for you. Like I said, your brain is being impacted, your reasoning, your decision making, your attention is being impacted, all of that. So you then know that once you've reached that part, you need to get someone else to help you through it because it's going to be hard for you to do it. And that's why it's good that even in advance of that, if you're in a high stakes organization where your workload is like, it's a normal occupational hazard of stress because of what you do, the competition, whatever industry you're in, you want to work in advance. Like don't work on the offense, you know, uh, be on the defense or vice versa, be on the defense and not the offense. So either way, you want to work ahead of time, prepare in advance. Everyone, Mm -hmm. like they say, everyone needs a counselor. Everyone needs a coach because if you're in those high stake businesses, you want to make sure that you have the help that you need in advance. Because again, once it's time and it's needed, it's hard for you to articulate exactly what you need and you want to have that in place Mm -hmm. for yourself. And what are some signs that, you know, someone might be able to pick up on that they are starting to feel um, burnt out from their, you know, from their work? Uh, A lot of times the first thing is you start to want to isolate yourself. (laughs) You want to start to not socialize. You also begin to have trouble with your memory. You're beginning to forget a lot. You're noticing that you are stressed. Maybe that's the term that you're okay with explaining you're stressed often, but also you're starting to lose interest in the work that you once were interested in. Uh, Maybe you are finding yourself, um, and sometimes they use the word jaded, you're no longer as passionate about the work and its impact, and you're starting to dissociate. You're starting to separate yourself from the mission of your organization, and it's it's something that isn't really... if I'll say vibing with you at that point, you know, it's just not a good connection. And again, you're more tired, you're more cynical, and you're really just in this place where you can even just sort of want to fade into the background and you're just wanting to, let me just do the bare minimum. So even your productivity suffers. So those are usually signs. Definitely. And kind of transitioning us into our tangible takeaway with talking about some things to recognize and things that you can do, what would you say um, is one of the most important things that someone can do in their own lives to prioritize their mental health? I would say that the best thing that you can do is realize that in order for you to be 
successful in your work, you have to be successful with your own personal work. You have to do the work to make yourself the best version of you as possible. Because then when you then apply it to whatever it is that you are outwardly passionate about, then you can be more impactful. So again, regardless of the industry, if you're really passionate, for example, um, you're very passionate about being an influencer. If you're really passionate about that, how are you going to stay the course? It takes a lot of work and energy to be an influencer. You have to be on that screen all the time. But if you don't have, if you don't shut things down <laughs> at a certain time and say, this is my self-care time, you're going to lose steam quicker than you ever thought before. So the best thing that you can do that is a part of your business, a part of your brand, a part of how much you connect and how often you connect with an authentic and authenticity state, you want to make sure that you take care of yourself. So you have to be authentic, but you can't be authentic if you're burning out. You're going to be putting on a show and you're going to be putting on for us females, you're going to be putting on a lot of makeup to cover up, you know, the, the dark bags and the not, you're going to be looking for filters. You're going to need <laughs> filters. You know, you're gonna, either way, <laughs> you glow and you are your best self and you are more impactful and you stand out above the rest when you take care of yourself. Because that's what is going to shine through and make you be a leader in whatever industry you're doing, no matter how many people are doing what you're doing. Awesome. I really love that. And um, Dr. Turan, one thing that we love to ask our guests that come on to the episode, you know, you're doing so many amazing things. You have your podcast, you're consulting, you're a mom, a wife. What is next for you? What are your big picture plans? Um, you know, book, TV show, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a couple things. I am actually working on an online course that is going to come with uh, a community. Like I'm building a membership program where it can be a community of people that are really of the like mind that are really just trying to be the best selves that they could be in the midst of all the craziness to help with mitigating burnout. That's the primary focus, mitigating burnout and being your best self. And so there'll be a membership program tied in um, that will ultimately escalate to the point where people can actually become apprentice consultants under my company. Um, and then me and one of my, my sorority sisters and uh, one, a very amazing legal expert, um, her name is Tiffany Trevelyan. She has her own law group out here. We're going to be putting together Ooh. a YouTube channel. And it's going to be something, yeah, we're going to put something together for the, the moms out there, the moms that are also doing all the 50 million things on top of, you know, business family, mom, wife, all of that. And so it's going to be definitely something fun and a little bit off cuff from us having to be in our <laughs> suit jackets and everything. It's, it's just going to be for us to just lay loose and 
We're, we're excited. <laughs> That's we're getting awesome. our green screens I together. <laughs> yes. All right, Dr. Haram. Well, we will leave all of your social media below, your podcast, which everyone should go listen to. We'll leave your professional website as well. Thank you so much for taking yes. the time to talk to us about the importance of mental health, especially that May being a mental health awareness month and just really taking the time to educate us and our audience about all things burnout. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, you all. Well, that is a wrap on today's episode with Dr. Turan. We're so grateful that she came on to share her expertise and knowledge with us all about prioritizing your mental health and burnout, especially in the midst of a pandemic. It's so essential that we're prioritizing not only our physical health, but our mental health as well. And then also in terms of feeling burnt out, we have a large Gen Z and millennial audience. So it's really important. And we really appreciated Dr. Turan coming on to share sort of basically a toolbox for us to be able to use to recognize when we're starting to feel burnt out and then what we can do when we have those feelings, especially as we're heading into the work world or, you know, a lot of you already are in your career. So we're so grateful that Dr. Turan came on today to share all of her knowledge. And we really look forward to having her back on in the future to talk about, you know, all of the different facets of the research that she does as well. Definitely. And if If you guys have any suggestions for future guests, whether that's any other facet of mental health, fitness, wellness, literally any topic, we would love to have other guests on in the future. So definitely let us know on our social media pages. You guys can follow us at Not Your Average BS on Instagram and join our Facebook group. And also don't forget to use our code for Healthy Bean Coffee. You guys can get 15% off with the code AVGBS15. And that will be linked down below as well as their website and Instagram if you guys would like to check them out. Yes. All right, you all. Well, until next Monday, that's That's the the BS. BS.